2: Tonight on a special Revolt Black News Weekly, we investigate the real thirst trap. Our cities in crisis. You can feel something wrong with the water. From Flint, Michigan, to Louisiana, to Watts, California, broken systems everywhere.
3: I'll be drinking that water.
2: Concentrated pollutants in our mostly black communities, from the poison of power plants to toxic landfills and our water systems under threat. This part of Louisiana is called Cancer Alley. Cancer Alley? Yes. That's a pretty terrible nickname. We examine the short and long term health effects of these communities caught in the crosshairs. You haven't really been able to use the water for months. Right. Are you still getting water bills? Oh,
4: yeah, definitely.
2: Are they discounted in any way? No. Why many are paying for water they can't even drink or bathe in? So, how do you fight back?
3: How many lawsuits have we won and people are still drinking dirty water?
2: And what are the solutions? Our roundtable hashes out what it will take to get our water to safer levels and standards. We're talking about it tonight as Revolt Black News investigates the real thirst trap. Hey everybody, I'm your host Mara Escampo tonight, Revolt Black News investigates the real thirst trap and our cities in crisis. We examine the crisis affecting the things most vital to our survival: the water we drink, and the air we breathe. Who is we? black people simply put water and air pollution disproportionately affects black communities in many cases it's sickening or killing us it may be affecting our brains in ways that make our neighborhoods more violent and it's even hitting our pockets costing us money and reducing our wealth for a lot of people in jackson mississippi life is hard It's one of the poorest cities in the country's poorest state, with a violent crime rate double the national average. And over the last few months, things have gotten much harder, because residents of this city, which is 82% Black, can't use the water. You can tell something wrong with the water. I don't be drinking that water. They say the water's been bad for years, but in August of 2022, it got much worse. Our cars are damaged, houses are damaged. Heavy rains caused a local river to flood, shutting down the water treatment plant and creating a water emergency, making it unsafe to use the water for anything.
4: I come in one day, we're turning the water on, and it was black. It had a smell. It was a lot. It was a what lot. What did
2: it smell like?
4: Uh, raw sewage. That around
2: Tim Norris was born and raised in Jackson. He runs Mom's Dream Kitchen, the restaurant his mom opened 35 years ago.
4: Single mom, five kids, started this all by herself.
2: Now the restaurant is struggling to operate without water, how to cook, make ice, and wash dishes in a safe way. For three months, they've been using only bottled water to cook with, up to six cases a day. It's very rough, you know, because we have to cook and buck. And they're figuring it out all on their own. So the city never reached out to you directly?
4: No, never called. We actually found out through, you know, just like I said, social media, the news and everywhere else.
3: People be scared to come over here. Uh, We're we, we surprised. They, we worried about y'all, really. You don't know But, anyway. but uh <laughs> What do we they, need to worry about? No, the crime. Okay. This Jake. You know, a lot of people don't come out here because yeah. of the shooting.
2: The Pine Ridge Garden Apartments are home to a lot of young mothers and their children, like 29-year-old Shakiva Gibson and her one-year-old daughter, Cedriana Epps. Things got bad about two years ago, but it really didn't get bad until this year. Shakiva's daughter was still on formula when the water crisis hit, powdered formula that needed to be mixed with water she couldn't afford all the bottled water she'd need to feed her baby so she switched to whole milk whole milk is not recommended for infants under a year old and pediatricians say it doesn't contain the nutrition babies need what do you think about that that you're having to change the way you feed your baby because the city's water that's sad that's sad it's really sad mississippi shouldn't be going through nothing like this knowing that we have kids Shakiva says she can't get to the city's bottled water distribution sites because she doesn't have a car. But these students do. Macy Brown is a junior at Jackson State University. When she realized some people couldn't get to water, she decided to bring water to them. She created a Cash App account and posted a call for help on Twitter. Within two days, she'd raised $3,000 and recruited some friends to help her buy and deliver water, mostly to the elderly and disabled. Why did you feel the need to do this?
5: Because
2: nobody else was doing it.
5: Do you realize
6: how much you need water when it's like limited or you can't use it? Am I gonna use this bottle of water to, to hydrate myself? Or do I have to use it to brush my teeth or wash my hands? Like, you really have to ration how you use your water.
2: What have officials done? We know what you guys have done. What have they done? Argued. <laughs> so the relationship that the capital city of Jackson
6: has with state leadership is a rocky one.
7: I've got to tell you, it is a great day to be in Hasburg. It's also, as always, a great day to not be in Jackson. Um, <laughs>
2: That's Mississippi's governor during the most recent water crisis, while speaking at an event about 90 miles from Jackson. What he thinks of Jackson matters a lot. For the most part, states decide how much money to give cities, so governors have a lot of influence over water systems. Jackson's mayor has asked the state for $1 billion to fix the water system.
7: We're the tip of the iceberg. Uh, And legacy cities, just like Jackson, are going to be vulnerable in this same way.
2: Experts say the state could fix this problem if they really wanted to. How do we know? Because one part of Jackson has a seemingly amazing water system.
4: The fairgrounds have their own water supply. So they have good water. The fairgrounds
2: in in Jackson. In Jackson the fairgrounds are operated and funded by the state. It's where they hold huge concerts and also animal shows. So what kind of animals are at the fairgrounds?
4: They're like, you know, horses and cows and stuff. Livestock? Livestock, right. So
2: the horses and cows at the fairgrounds have clean water. Right. But the people everywhere else in Jackson don't. Exactly. So the cows got better water than y'all here.
4: True. That's it. That's That's it. That's the bottom line.
2: Do you think this would be going on as long as it has if this was a white community? No, not at all. Statistics suggest he's not wrong. Water should be a basic necessity that we shouldn't have to wait
7: or stand in line for. This red line is the proposed Bahalia pipeline. These are people's homes.
2: It's known as environmental racism, a term to describe the fact that Black communities are 75% more likely to live near facilities that produce hazardous waste and are exposed to one and a half times higher levels of pollution from water contamination, refinery smoke, and poisonous landfills than white citizens.
5: If you're wealthy, uh, if you're white, you live in a great neighborhood, uh, you don't face the same environmental degradation. Right, uh, And if you do, it's going to get cleaned up like really quickly.
2: Dirty air is associated with asthma, lung disease, and heart disease. Dirty water with lead poisoning, skin lesions, and kidney failure, all of which make COVID-19 more deadly. Many believe these pollutants may also have an effect on our mental health and behavior.
4: We shouldn't have to suffer this way.
2: We're seeing it in predominantly black and poor communities all across the country. In Boxtown, Tennessee, surrounding oil refineries have led to hazardous air quality. Uniontown, Alabama is America's dumping ground with a local dump containing trash from more than 30 states, as well as 4 million tons of toxic coal ash from a spill in Tennessee. In Benton Harbor, Michigan, city officials discovered lead levels of more than six times the legal limit, though they didn't alert citizens for three years. And in Southeastern Louisiana, it's literally a matter of life and death. Many believe a massive concentration of chemical plants is causing cancer rates up to 50 times the national average in an area known as Cancer Alley, which we also visited.
3: We're tired of these people coming here Killing us already, and now they want to kill
2: our kids and our grandkids? And then there's Flint, Michigan.
8: What do we want? Clean water! What do we want? Stop!
2: Their water crisis documented by CBS's 60 Minutes. In 2014, in the majority black city, officials switched the water supply from the... Hey there,
0: ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah.
2: Great Lakes to the Flint River in an effort to save money. But they neglected to treat the water properly, and it was so hazardous, it corroded the lead pipes. You know, this is not a third world country, but we're living like one. Pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha investigated the effects of the toxic water on Flint's citizens and discovered the lead poisoning of 14,000 children under the age of six. It is an irreversible neurotoxin. It attacks the core of what it means to be you.
8: We will not allow one county to become a
7: dump site.
2: But our communities have been fighting back for decades.
7: The protesters were told not to block the trucks. They're now lying in the streets now, blocking one truck, moving into the landfill. If you do not cease this unlawful act, you will be arrested
2: the environmental justice movement was ignited in the late 1970s by a brave, small, rural community in the Deep South. <laughs> Residents of Warren County, North Carolina, rose up to protest the dumping of toxic soil in their community, soil full of banned carcinogenic PCBs. I don't want this stuff throw it in my water.
6: We're marching because we do not want this to affect our future.
2: The battle was long and arduous. But in 2004, more than 20 years after the protest started, Warren County was finally declared clean. Jackson hopes their victory is coming soon, too. Are you worried about how this might be affecting her health? Mm-hmm, because I'm scared that she might get something in her and
3: the lead. Yeah, that's affecting kids. We need help. We need lots of help. The kids out here need help.
2: When we come back, the one thing that's made this crisis worse over the last two years, compounding the deaths in some areas, COVID. And later, who is responsible for this mess and how can we force them to fix it? That's ahead when The Real Thirst Trap continues. Welcome back to The Real Thirst Trap, our cities in crisis. What happens when you spend years or even decades drinking water containing dangerous levels of lead or filling your lungs with air polluted by nearby factories? Unfortunately, we know the answer. Black people are almost four times more likely than white people to die from air pollution. It also contributes to a number of other health issues like asthma and heart disease. These existing health issues made COVID even deadlier for black people in highly polluted areas areas like one stretch of Louisiana along the Mississippi River. It's home to 25% of the country's oil refineries. Industrial processing, many believe, is killing the people who live there, which is why they call it Cancer Alley. On a stretch of land along the Mississippi River, once home to slave plantations, a new kind of oppression.
9: This part of Louisiana is called Cancer Alley.
2: Cancer Alley. Yes. That's a pretty terrible nickname. Why do they call this Cancer Alley?
9: Because we have so many higher rates of people dying with cancer.
2: This area spans 85 miles between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, home to more than 150 chemical plants, refineries, landfills, and factories. It's home to the country's only neoprene plant, which emits a well-known carcinogen and 25% of the country's oil production is done here. Most of the industrial plants are located in the majority black parts of St. John, St. James, and St. Charles parishes. And many who live here, like activist Sharon Levine, say they are being poisoned with cancer-causing chemicals. How do you feel the presence of all this industry around you?
9: The smell, you could smell a foul odor like a rotten egg, like chemicals, like ammonia, and our soil is not productive anymore. Pecan trees—I have, I have one tree that's hollow. It bears the pecans, when you crack the pecans, it's hollow.
2: So you have a pecan tree that yes. is making pecans, the shell, the
9: shell, but there's but nothing no to nut meet inside. No.
2: So if it's doing this to the plants and the trees, what do you see it doing to the people? I see it killing us. The contraction rates from this region, now unaffectionately known as Cancer Alley, are staggering. Nationwide, the cancer risk is 30 in a million. In Louisiana, it's 46 in a million. But in sections of Cancer Alley, it's 500 in a million. And St. John Parish claims cancer rates of 1,500 per million. A health crisis so alarming, the United Nations has declared it a form of environmental racism and a threat to human rights. By a show of hands, how many of you have had cancer? Okay? By a show of hands, how many of you have lost at least one loved one to cancer?
3: When people started getting sick in our community and everything was or oh, you got a bad sinus infection, or oh, you go take two aspirin for your headache and stuff. We didn't realize all of this was coming from the plant. You got a plant on this side, and a plant on this side, and I'm in the middle, so I'm the meat. The, the plant is the, is, is the bread, and I'm sandwiched in between.
2: Brenda and her brother, Leroy, survived cancer. Their brother, Gibbons, did not. Yes, I love him. They miss it. So these are all the cancer-associated deaths in your family? Yes. Your grandfather, your grandmother, your brother, and your mother to cancer?
7: Yes. Loved him a lot. I ain't had him long enough, but it's all right.
6: This is my brother-in-law, Raymond. This is my cousin, Jackie Fascial Levy. And this is my beloved sister, Joyce Pye, Jasmine. We're not out here just fighting because we want to. We're fighting because
2: we didn't experience cancer. Our group was supposed to be joined by a fifth cancer survivor, but she couldn't get to us because the road was closed for a chemical spill.
3: Everywhere around is blocked. They don't want us to leave.
2: Can you see or smell anything?
3: Yeah, I can smell um, some kind of chemical in the air. Yeah, I had
2: my nose burning. The major health concern in this area is cancer. But pollutants can cause a range of health problems, including asthma, lung disease, liver failure, skin rashes, and cognitive problems, all depending on where you live, what you're exposed to, and how much. The only way
3: that you can see this level of disparity uh, is when it impacts low-income people of color. That's the bottom
2: line. Journalist Erica Hensley has been investigating the effects of lead poisoning on children in Mississippi, which causes permanent, non-reversible brain damage. Hensley says even tracking down the most basic health data is hard. A lot of places aren't looking for it because they don't wanna find it. It took her three years to get the information she needed to combine lead screening results with a map of Jackson, three years just to determine which communities were most at risk. The whole point of lead poisoning prevention is to find who's at risk and let them know and try and help them. So we're really gaslighting folks into thinking, (laughs) your public health problems are on you, when really the public health problems are on the public and the state health department that's charged with protecting that public. Some say officials may be intentionally dragging their feet.
3: The first thing these polluting industries and corporate interests do is buy off uh, you know, your health departments. Most of the leadership comes from the community, it's remarkable. Uh, it doesn't come from elected officials, it doesn't come from government regulators.
2: And that's exactly what Sharon is doing. She founded the faith-based nonprofit, Rise St. James, to keep any new facilities out of her community and to force the ones who are here to clean up their mess. Do you think that they want you to just go? They want us to just die. mean, they want us to die
9: off and they can just have all of our land, but that's not gonna happen. So we stand here today and we're gonna fight. We were being poisoned, no more.
2: You've heard about the impact the water crisis is having on our physical health, but what about our mental health? When we come back, what all of these pollutants may be doing to the brain and how that could be making the streets less safe. Welcome back to this special edition of Revolt Black News as we investigate the real thirst trap, our cities in crisis. It makes sense that pollutants affect the body, but could they also be affecting behavior? It's not a stretch. Some pollutants, like lead, are neurotoxins, meaning they target the brain and could lead to behavioral problems, learning disorders, and even aggression, potentially increasing everything from school suspensions to incarceration to crime. Some folks in Watts think that's exactly what's happening in their community. They say it's no coincidence that areas known for having lead in the water are also some of the most violent. This is Jordan High School in Watts, California. And this is a metal recycling plant that school officials say is poisoning the air, soil, and water. It's basically in the school's backyard, just feet away. What types of things would happen? When things fall, you would see like the dust and everything like fly up. You would see it? Yeah,
6: you would see like particles and stuff like in the air. They told us not to drink from the fountains.
2: A lot of people here think that dust is toxic, filled with dangerous chemicals like lead. Testing done by the school district in 2020 found lead concentrations 75 times higher than the EPA's threshold. And it may be affecting students in some unexpected ways. How often were there fights at school?
6: I would say there's at least one fight a week. They're fighting so hard that like they're falling and they're like bleeding from their heads and stuff. No one ever knew the reason why it was just fights just breaking out out of nowhere.
2: Watts is about 20 miles from the glamorous parts of LA, like Beverly Hills and Hollywood, but it feels like it's a world away. The predominantly Latino and Black neighborhood has a poverty rate two and a half times the national average and a violent crime rate three times the national average. It's also one of the most polluted areas in the entire country, facing toxic contamination for decades, since long before the 1965 Watts riots, with several industrial facilities packed into just two square miles. Raising the question, could these pollutants be changing the way people behave, making some more violent and quicker to snap? What was your upbringing like?
8: My upbringing was I grew up in a bookie joint. What's a bookie joint? A bookie joint is a place where um, people gamble. So I grew up running numbers when I was six years old.
2: Lifelong Watts resident O'Shea Luja has seen a lot of beauty here. His poetry inspired by Watts's history as an artistic hub, but he's also seen a lot of pain. In the third grade, you know, my mother had her first
8: nervous breakdown. I was at Grape Street Elementary in Watts, and she came to whoop me in her underwear with a, a scarf wrapped around her head. I ran all the way home, and I saw our furniture outside in the streets with my little sister sitting on the grass looking like, Your guess is just as good as mine.
2: Did it happen more than once?
8: Yes, be, um, before I. Got out of the seventh grade, my mother had about eight nervous breakdowns, so my education came in when I had to find out why my mother's nervous system broke down.
2: Tim Watkins has been trying to answer some of the same questions.
7: Why did you feel the need to do your own testing? Because I couldn't get anyone's attention.
2: Born and raised in Watts, Tim has lived most of his life on the same corner with a front row view of how violence has plagued this community.
7: I grew up between two neighborhoods that were constantly warring dead bodies all up and down the streets.
2: Surrounded by death, he devoted himself to improving life in his hometown, creating the Watts Labor Community Action Committee. Environmental justice is one of their top priorities.
7: The whole community is contaminated air, water, and soil. If you're born and raised in Watts, you stand to live 14 years less than elsewhere in the city. So I went out. and and actually rented x-ray fluorescence equipment. And what I found in those tests was between 600 and 1,000 parts per million. The standard in the state of California for lead content in soil in residential areas is 80 parts per million. So if that's the standard, then why should my kids in Nickerson Gardens or uh, Imperial Ports or Jordan Downs be living in the midst of 1,000 parts per million?
2: The connection between pollution and violence isn't just in Watts. Statistics suggest high levels of lead can lead to an increase in violent crime, school suspensions, juvenile detention, and adult incarceration. Do you think it's possible that these environmental pollutants are a factor?
6: I definitely think that it's a possibility for sure. Environmental toxins and pollutants can definitely have an effect on how our brain functions. If lead is is altering the levels of those important
2: neurotransmitters that are helping our brain signal, helping us function, helping us make decisions, if those are altered, then our behavior is gonna be altered. So when it comes to violence, it sounds like it's a combination of mood, of impulse control, that those things could result in someone behaving in a violent way, whereas otherwise they might not. Exactly, exactly. Baltimore consistently has some of the highest violent crime rates in the country and they went through a lead poisoning crisis where 65,000 children were found to have dangerously high blood lead levels between 1993 and 2013. Before Freddie Gray died in police custody, sparking nationwide outrage, he had been arrested more than a dozen times. Records show that by his second birthday, his blood lead levels were more than seven times the CDC's threshold. Newark, New Jersey was once known as the most dangerous city in America. And in 2016, high levels of lead were discovered in public school drinking water. How do you think this environment is actually affecting people? The
8: pollutants, the things that's in the air, you know, the chemicals, the toxic waste, the dump lands, all of these things, it affect how we grow from a physiological perspective. Now you have walking time bombs that will explode quick.
2: But actual lead poisoning isn't the only way that this toxic environment is taking a toll. How does it impact your mental health to be surrounded by all these industrial elements? It
6: feels kind of like mentally draining. The government or the city and all these people know all about this, yet they do nothing to help us. If they're not helping us with the basic need of clean water, they don't wanna see us succeed.
2: Genesis is succeeding despite her environment. The senior at Jordan High School is a straight-A student, class valedictorian, and she wants to be a lawyer.
6: I was always encouraged by um, the poem from Tupac, The Rose That Grew From Concrete, because I genuinely believe that I am that Rose that is growing from concrete. No one is supposed to grow up in this type of environment, but we we still figure out how to make it out. our
8: own we don't have any resources to help us deal with the traumatic experience of seeing someone's head gets blown off seeing someone's brains leak on the curve you know however it's a norm you know first time i saw something traumatic was in elementary you know i had to literally walk over a dead body
2: why do you think that you were able to rise above, that you were able to seek this healing and to find a path towards healing?
8: Um, I have a teacher. His name is Father Amdia of the legendary Watch Prophets. He tells a story about him being able to turn the corner. And... And... He tells the story about him being able to turn the corner. He don't know why he was able to, but he was able to turn the corner. It just was someone that was able to tell me, I see you, I see you. And then I felt seen, and then I wanted to read, and then I wanted to change my environment.
2: For O'Shea, that change came through poetry, After going to more than 40 funerals before his 25th birthday, he turned to spoken word, giving a voice to all of the concrete roses growing in Watts.
8: My mama say, stay on the one, my son, and never forget to cha-cha with your soul. Purple people.
2: When we come back, going green, it takes on a whole new meaning. We'll take a look at why this environmental crisis is hitting your wallet hard. Welcome back. Imagine that your water is shut off and then you get a bill for water you couldn't even use. It's one of the many ways that for some people, this environmental crisis is a
5: fun. What's up, podcast land? It's your boy C Diddy, one half of the realest podcast ever. Are you tired of the same boring, unoriginal podcast that lack depth, originality and substance? Well, I got a solution for you. Join us here every Monday and Thursday on Revolt Podcast Network for the realest podcast ever, where we bring you the best in entertainment, news, fashion, sports, music reviews, politics and street culture with a mixture of the most powerful guests that you're going to find anywhere on the Internet. Join us every Monday and Thursday for the realest podcast ever
2: financial burden from the added expense of buying bottled water for absolutely all of your water needs to lower property values and higher medical bills. Call it the pollution tax, the financial cost of environmental racism. So you inherited this land. Yes. Sharon Levine built her house in what's now known as Cancer Alley 35 years ago, before industrial plants invaded this part of Louisiana. A home featuring six bedrooms and three bathrooms, over 3,400 square feet, built on 20 acres of land. When did you build your
9: house? We started to build this
2: house in 1985.
9: You built it yourself? Yes, me and my husband. With your hands? Well, yes, but with our hands. The fact that you built it is what yes. I'm incredibly oh, yes. impressed it, with. It made you feel more close to it because it came from your hands.
2: When did you have it appraised?
9: We had it appraised when we had to get insurance
2: for the home. And at that time, it was valued at $350,000. OK, so in 1987, it appraised yes. for $350,000. Yes, yes. And then when was the next time you had an appraisal?
9: 2013 or 2014. We had it appraised again because my son was trying to get a house, so we had it appraised and it appraised at two hundred and fifty thousand.
2: Sharon's home didn't lose just one hundred thousand in value. In nineteen eighty-seven, three hundred and fifty thousand was equivalent to nine hundred and twenty-six thousand, so she actually lost five hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars. Her home's value dropping by seventy-three percent. If it had appreciated at the national average rate of about 3% a year, today it would be worth more than $2.5 million. It lost a lot of its value. Yes, it did. Why?
9: Because of industry, all of this pollution around us.
2: Is there anything else that you could think of that would make this area suddenly less valuable than it was 30 years ago?
9: I I couldn't think of anything. All I know is the pollution. They're driving our property value down.
2: That toxic trickle down affects a lot more than housing prices. There's also the added cost of buying bottled water. I go get like four four to 12 cases. Bills for water you can't safely use. You haven't really been able to use the water for months. Right,
4: right, yeah.
2: Are you still getting water bills? Oh yeah, definitely. Are they discounted in any way? No, 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 Students at Jackson State University say they get no tuition break, even though they're often forced to miss class because of water shutdowns. Today, you guys don't have in-person classes. Your classes are virtual. Have there been any adjustments to your tuition or what you have to pay for your education? <laughs> That's not how that works.
6: <laughs> no. we, don't, we don't get prorated tuition, no. Yeah. What, you, what you pay is what you pay.
2: It adds up quick. So the bills are higher. Mm -hmm. You're buying bottled water. Mm -hmm. You're paying your employees more. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: Especially for those already struggling.
5: That cost of water burden, uh, it only exacerbates our ability to pay for other essentials, right? So you have families, right, making that decision. Am I going to pay for water this month? Am I going to pay my mortgage? Am I going to pay my electricity, my heat?
2: So, yeah. you've spoken to people who are suicidal? Oh,
4: yes, definitely. Several times, yeah. yeah.
2: What about this specific situation affects them so deeply?
4: Because we're talking about water. We're talking about something that's, you know, uh, this necessity. And then, you know, you look at all the high prices of everything, food and everything. So, you know, now I got to add bottled water to my expense.
2: Are they rationing water at all?
4: Oh, yeah. So they go from the big bottles to the smaller bottles. Yeah. But they are definitely rationing, yeah.
2: But for the polluting companies, hosting up in poor Black communities may actually be good for business. Studies suggest penalties for polluters are lower in Black communities than in white ones.
5: For big corporations, uh, fines and penalties really just become a line item, right? So it's, it's cheaper for them to continue to pollute than it is to fix the problem of pollution. It just becomes regular operating expense.
2: And in Louisiana, most major industrial facilities don't pay a dime in property taxes for years. Why is this space so valuable to them?
9: Because of the river and because of the rail, and uh, they can transport the, the, the products by rail
2: and by the river. So you're in prime location. We're in prime location, that's right. Some people will say, well, why don't they just move? Why should we move? This is our home.
9: This is not the home of the petrochemical plants. they invading our property. We are not invading their property.
2: We know that change never comes without resistance. When we come back, what steps can you take to fight all of this environmental injustice? Welcome back to this special edition of Revolt Black News as we investigate the real thirst trap, our cities in crisis. Well, you'd never know it from looking at the boards of mainstream environmental groups, but Black people have been at the forefront of the environmental justice fight for decades. And we're now joined by a group of those leaders for the most important things we can do right now to tackle this problem. To help us hash this out and fully wrap our heads around it all, we have Calandra Davis, an environmental justice activist and community organizer, Jeremy Orr, a professor of law at Michigan State University who specializes in environmental and civil rights, and Latricia Adams, A Memphis, Tennessee native, Patricia is also the youngest African-American woman appointed to the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. Yes, Patricia. Welcome to you all. Thank you for being here to discuss this. So, Jeremy, I'm going to start with you, um, because when I go around and talk to family and friends about this story and what I've learned in reporting this story, everybody has the same question. Who is supposed to fix this? So I pose that question to you. Who is responsible for fixing these issues?
5: I think it's the people who are responsible for causing the problem, right? And oftentimes we can look and and place that blame squarely on our government, right? State governments, uh, local governments, uh, and federal governments who have kind of allowed, not only allowed, but oftentimes required uh, certain toxic infrastructures to be placed in black communities, low-income communities, and and have subjected our communities to uh, environmental degradation for decades.
2: So are those elected officials?
5: Yeah, I mean, we've got to look at our elected officials who are, uh, you know, tasked with appointing the people who lead different, you know, utilities, different agencies. Um, you know, we also have our community folks as well, you know, in the space trying to hold them accountable. Uh, so I think it's it's absolutely, you know, kind of our elected and, and appointed officials.
2: And Latresia, you are working with the White House on this. What are you hearing from the White House about their commitment to this issue?
6: So right now, there have been some of the most... Um, monumental funds um, that have been contributed towards environmental justice. Even the use of the terminology um, environmental justice literally was historical. Um, while there has been quite a bit of investment from a funding perspective, it's still not clear if that funding will go directly to frontline communities, particularly with African-American and Latinx communities. Um, we know that oftentimes when the feds uh, release that money to the state and it gets to the local level, it It gets really, really gray. So you can pour money as much as you like, but if it's not connected to the root of the issue, if there's not accountability. Um, from a community perspective, to ensure that those people who have received legacy harm, if that's not being properly addressed, then that funding really
2: is null and void. So I want to talk about the money because that's such an important piece of this. And we have right now more money that is earmarked for infrastructure and addressing these things than at almost any time in recent history. We're talking about more than $1 trillion in the infrastructure law that has been allocated towards infrastructure repair. So how do we ensure right now that money is available, that what we need goes to our communities?
6: Yeah. So one thing that I think I would be remiss if I didn't address, we have we have racist states. Um, So, again, when we release when Congress passes laws where they actually get policy passed and money gets to the state, it gets stuck there. So you have places like Jackson that for decades have been advocating to get this funding, but still are stuck, right? So I, I think that you actually have to take things into a legal matter. Um, so what my recommendation would be in those instances where you are in cities and states that have historical racism where essentially people are trying to stifle the the freedoms um, through economic with Black communities, you have to hit them where it hurts and hit them in their pockets. Um, And sometimes that means to
2: take them to court. Who is responsible for initiating those lawsuits? Is this something that the DOJ would take over? Is this a civil rights issue? Is this something that individuals in the community would have to take on themselves? If we want, you know, big civil judgments, who is leading the fight on that?
6: So I think it's a combination of all of those things. I will use, for example, the Flint water crisis. Everybody got sued. So everybody was implicated. That means from a federal perspective, that means from a state perspective and a local perspective, everyone that was complicit um, with contributing to this massacre, needs to be held accountable. So it did take from a grassroots perspective where you had cla- a class action lawsuit that stemmed from community. So you have to lawyer up from all
2: facets. Calandra, you feel a little differently. You feel that this is not something that we can address within the framework of the existing system. What do you think needs to happen?
3: I think it's just a tad bit crazy to go to the system for the solutions when the system caused the problems. So whether that's on a federal level, a state level, or a local level, um, that it just it does it just doesn't make sense. And so, for example, with the federal dollars coming down to the state, even with COVID relief dollars in a in past life, I was a policy analyst and I understood that those COVID relief dollars came to a local level and then they were used towards policing. So again, why are we going to the system to keep us safe? And so I think the solutions are within the hands of the community. Our communities are abundant and they're resourceful. And yes, those dollars do belong to the community, but I don't think we need to put our efforts towards Um, As long as environmental injustices or justices are tied to the capitalist system, putting our efforts towards that system, in my opinion, will not help us. And so our communities have to really stand up. Our communities come together. Our communities need to be organized, more. most importantly, in order to, so that we can own and operate our water systems.
2: So then what does that look like? Own and operate a water system? I, I would not know the first thing about creating an, a water system in my neighborhood. Not- I mean, a bucket, a boil some water, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> How do you do that?
3: That's a good question. And it's gonna sound very simple at first. The first thing is we have to know who are we in community with, and so, again, that's why it starts with community organizing. But I can talk about one of the efforts or some of the efforts I'm involved in in Jackson, Mississippi, and not only in Jackson, also in rural Mississippi, um, and that's ensuring that we can put wells in the ground so that our systems are then owned and operated by our community. So, when we know our community. And then two, our community then owns the well system. Our community understands the cleanliness of the well system. We can test the water. Uh, We do have one well in one part of rural Mississippi. We're working on that process in Jackson. Um, And we're doing it outside of the system.
2: But that takes money. That takes a lot of organization. That takes a lot of time. And that is money and time and emotional and spiritual capital that Mm -hmm. other communities don't have to spend. Should we have to be Digging our own wells?
3: So, you're definitely right. It takes money, time, resources, all kind of things. But we can ask ourselves, how much money was given to bring in um, plastic water bottles to Jackson? Communities have resources. Communities are abundant, especially Black communities. So I don't wanna look at it as if we're powerless. The problem is is that systems are organized and that systems are trying to take that power from our communities. The problem is is that we focus so much on harm reduction, but harm reduction is not sustainable. Like you said, this is a decades long fight. How many lawsuits have we won and people are still drinking dirty water?
2: It sounds like, and and you tell me if I'm understanding correctly, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying it's not that the system is broken, but that the system is working the way it's supposed to. Correct. And so we can't work within the framework of a system that is intended to have these effects. Right. The system
3: needs to be dismantled. And we need to create our own.
2: And before we go, one final thing, each of you, what is one thing if somebody watching this right now wants to get involved and take action, but they're just one person? What is one thing that someone can do that you think will have impact?
6: This is going to sound really simple. Please get your water tested because the first step is knowing what's in your water.
5: So I think a big thing that that we can do is is uh, make sure that we're reaching out to our water system, right, and, and learning about where resources are available to remediate the problem uh, and allowing them to do it.
3: Yeah. Just making sure, talking to, the, again, the people in your community and figuring out the ways to come up with sustainable solutions, figuring out what works for your community, figuring out if that's a well system, if that's rain catchment, That and understanding,
2: too, that we have the resources. Because we are not powerless, as you said. Right. Thank you guys all for your time and helping us break this down. I really appreciate it. Well, for you at home, we hope you've had an eye-opening view at what many Black communities are facing and have offered some solutions for activism as we continue to fight for our water safety and our mental and physical health in this journey, the real thirst trap in our communities in crisis. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mara Escampo.